0: Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. There is a whole lot packed into those few words at the very beginning of our reading today. They're meant to take you back to church school or to the voice of your grandparents or to a Broadway musical or wherever it is that you learned the story of Joseph, that favorite son of Jacob with the technicolor coat, whose brothers were so jealous that they almost left him for dead, but instead shipped him off to faraway Egypt. They're meant to remind you of that dreamer's unlikely rise to power in that foreign country, all the way to becoming the Pharaoh's right hand man. They're meant to remind you that because Joseph was trusted and valued by the king, he was allowed to bring his whole family to Egypt, where they found a warm welcome and a safe place to live and work and raise families. They're meant to remind you that the Israelite people have been living through a season of peace and security. And quite abruptly, the weather is about to change. It seems like a good time to read the Exodus story. I mean, it's never a bad time to read it, really. It's got excitement and suspense and complex and wonderful characters. It's got a burning bush and a plague of frogs and a sea that splits in two. It's a terrific story, one of the great ones of the Bible, and it is through and through a story of liberation. That's why it seems to me like a particularly good time to be returning to this old tale filled with miracles and wonder and fantastic escapes. The promise and the challenge of liberation is always at the heart of the Bible and running all through its veins. And this seems like a moment to return there. In this time when dictators and tyrants demonize their opponents and treat their own people as expendable, and marginalized groups find themselves pushed around and treated as a nuisance, and people everywhere remain anxious and gripped by fear over a deeply uncertain future, we need this promise and this challenge again. Liberation is always God's work. So we are entering the Exodus story today, and we're gonna stay there for the weeks ahead. But of course, any story of liberation has to begin with a story of oppression. And that's where the Exodus story begins. Not with Pharaoh's chariots thrown into the sea, but with an ominous change in the weather, with a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. This new Pharaoh looks around at his kingdom perhaps thinking of ways to unify his people and drum up support for the new regime. And he lands on a plan that I'm pretty sure was already a tired one when he came up with it 3,000 years ago. Let's single out the foreigners. There's nothing in this story to suggest that the Israelite people were anything but good citizens in Egypt, but they are from somewhere else. And this new king decides they are a threat. There are too many of them, They speak a different language. I go downtown and I hear Hebrew instead of Egyptian. This is our country, after all. Who do they think they are? Why don't they go back where they came from? It's an age-old technique for the power-hungry, insecure leader. Unite your people by pointing the finger at someone else. Immigrants, minorities, those on the margins. I wish I could say that tactic died out thousands of years ago with Pharaoh but we know it's still out there, still prominent in the playbooks of far too many rulers today. So Pharaoh points his finger at the Israelites, and he comes up with a particularly vicious plan to deal with these others in his kingdom. Kill all their baby boys. That's certainly one way to stop a people from growing. Do away with the boys, and thus with the men, and these foreigners will pose no threat. It's not hard to catch his reasoning here, what he didn't account for, of course, is that it's not men who will sow the seeds for his downfall, but women. I hope you notice that. Big shot Pharaoh takes center stage at the start, but this story really isn't about him. This story is about the women who started the wheels of liberation in motion. It's about five women, to be exact, who refused to participate in Pharaoh's culture of death. The first of these women are the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. Pharaoh begins with them, and why not? They're the first to see the baby boys that he wants out of the picture. So, who better to take their lives? This is an especially cruel order to make of a couple of midwives, right? To people whose vocation is to help bring life into the world. He's asking them to do precisely the opposite of what they were called to do. And if they had obeyed, the story would be over right there no more baby boys, no Moses, no exodus from slavery. But the story tells us that Chifra and Pua feared God, and that meant that they summoned up the courage to disobey the order they were given. Sorry, Pharaoh, they say when he calls them to his court asking where all these Hebrew baby boys are coming from. Our women are just too strong. They give birth before we can even get there they refuse to comply with the king's directive. It's the Bible's first great act of civil disobedience. Well, Pharaoh says to himself, if the midwives won't take care of the Hebrew boys, then we'll find another way. So he enrolls the whole population in the violence. All you Egyptians, he says, if you see a Hebrew baby, throw it into the Nile. That's how we'll finally be rid of these foreigners. And with that, terrifying order in the air another woman enters the picture a hebrew woman gives birth to a beautiful baby boy and she cares for him in secret as long as she can but you know what happens with babies they grow they make noise they move and after three months she can hide him no longer so what are her options hand him over to the egyptians run off into the wilderness in fear wait in hiding for the inevitable? She decides to make a basket, seal it well, and to place it in the reeds down by the river. To me, this is an act of profound bravery and desperate faith. I don't know how to protect you anymore, it says, but I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna trust and make this one last attempt for life to have its say. So did she know that was the spot where Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe? We don't know. But of course, we do know what's supposed to happen when the princess finds the baby. We know exactly what she's supposed to do with this foreign infant crying there in the reeds. Her own father couldn't have been clearer. But of course, her father isn't there. And there is something welling up inside her as she looks at this child whose mother clearly made one last desperate effort at saving his life. Lying there in front of her, he's not just a foreigner, an other, a threat. He's a human being, a single life as precious as any other. And in this moment, he is suddenly making a claim on her. So there just happened to be another young woman watching from a distance as Pharaoh's daughter gazed at this baby and wrestled with those competing impulses inside her, whether to obey her father or this feeling of what she knew was right i like to think moses's big sister could see that wrestling happening as the princess stood there by the river maybe that's what gave her the courage to speak up out of the reeds and speak to this girl who she was probably never allowed to address i mean who is she after all a young hebrew girl a nobody to speak to the king's own daughter but speak she does Shall I go and get you a nurse from among the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Do you see what a risk that is? What an incredible leap of faith? This is a really a shocking suggestion that she's making here, that Pharaoh's own daughter of all people might adopt a Hebrew baby boy and take him in as her own. It's ridiculous. We expect the princess to shoo her away, to call her guards, to throw a stone. But there by the river, with no one else watching, she listens to her heart and to the words of this foreigner. She says, yes. And together, these two girls hatch a plan to save this one life, this child who will grow up to confront Pharaoh face to face. In case you can't tell, I love this story. And I think it is so important for this heavy time that we're in right now. I mean, the weight of the world is there in this story. The fate of a whole people, the crushing power of injustice, the desperation of those oppressed. And a revolution does begin, but it's not in the way we might imagine. It's not through flashy heroics or an epic battle. It begins with a handful of ordinary people simply facing what is right there in front of them with great courage. It begins with these five women each taking a step toward life. With the midwives fearing God and disobeying the king. With Moses' mother making a tiny ark for her beloved baby. With Pharaoh's daughter listening to the compassion inside her. With Moses' sister imagining a new way forward and taking a risk. It's their simple acts of brave humanity that open up the way out of slavery and death. And it's acts like that that can still open up a new way today. It's Natalia, a Belarusian woman, putting on a white dress and walking out into the street carrying a flower, joining thousands of others in peaceful protest after her 20-year-old son was arrested without cause, jailed for six days and beaten as part of the government's crackdown on those opposing president. It's teachers everywhere, making the most with the resources in front of them, honoring the gifts of each student, fostering a space of learning and care. It's teenagers continuing to organize and speak up and demand that our governments take action on climate justice. It's individual parents and grandparents deliberately teaching their children not to hate those different from them. The Exodus story is gonna take us through miracles, through fire and water, through unmistakable signs of the presence and the power of God. All of that is exciting, but don't forget where it begins. It begins with five women, each taking a step toward life. Let your life be a foothold of liberation, says author Brian McLaren. That's what this great story asks of each of us, After all, who knows what might come from one simple act of courage. Amen.